Welcome to today's podcast and welcome to Singapore. My name is Michelle Yong and I'm a partner with the Marina International Trade team sitting in Singapore. With me is Lauren Tang, my colleague from Virtus Law, our alliance firm under our Stevenson Howard Singapore Alliance umbrella. So Lauren here is a restructuring and insolvency expert. Hi, Michelle. We have worked together a lot, but this is our first time doing a podcast together. And hello also to the listeners. Whether you're listening to us while running outdoors or driving, we hope you will stay tuned and find this helpful. So we know that certain sectors of commodities have been under severe stress globally. Oil prices remain relatively low, and we saw a slowdown in China's economic growth. The COVID-19 pandemic threw a further curveball, which has affected global trade through lockdowns imposed by governments and the overall fall in general demand for goods worldwide. With the current uncertainties, we have seen many trading companies in Singapore face challenges, especially cash flow difficulties. So this has led to increased collaboration between my team and Lawrence, as we are increasingly sought out by clients or clients as creditors to navigate through restructurings or insolvencies or clients as debtors to assist with the resuscitation of their companies. So in helping our clients handle the challenges that Michelle just mentioned, we have had to consider the provisions of the Insolvency, Restructuring and Dissolution Act, which I shall call ERDA for short. Yes, and I think you know this podcast is quite timely because it's been about a year since ERDA came into force on 30th July 2020. Lauren, I believe you have had an exciting year exploring the new tools that ERDA has But for our listeners' benefit, would you like to give a brief introduction on this still relatively new and important piece of Singapore legislation? Sure. As you said, Michelle, ERDA is new and came about in tandem with the Singapore government's ambition for Singapore to be a restructuring and insolvency hub, recognised in the same way as New York, Hong Kong and the UK. ERDA consolidates the personal and corporate insolvency laws, and the laws relating to debt restructuring by individuals and companies into a Singapore statute. So I mentioned the new tools that ERDA has, and I think uh, now let's talk a little bit about them. Sure. So one issue faced by companies when looking to start restructuring efforts is that it is actually quite common for contracts to stipulate that insolvency or commencement of restructuring proceedings will be a ground to terminate contracts or say, accelerate payment of all sums due by the company. These are typically known as ipso facto clauses. Well, in my view, ipso facto clauses can be quite troublesome, right? You know, for example, when you are a company struggling to survive and you need every bit of business to continue trading, it is certainly unhelpful for your counterparty to terminate your contract or force payment of a larger sum. It's about the last thing you need. I completely agree. They are certainly very problematic. This is why the Section 440 of ERDA restricts the use of ipso facto clauses for contracts entered into from 30th July 2020. So Lauren, I actually understand that globally, this approach has been a long time coming. That's right, Michelle. The restriction of ipso facto clauses has been adopted in restructuring and insolvency regimes in US, Canada, and Australia. By introducing Section 440, 
Singapore is also recognizing that companies in financial distress should be able to continue their rehabilitation efforts without having the risk that counterparties may terminate contracts, even when companies can perform such contracts. I should add that UK is also looking into adopting this approach. Now, it's my turn to ask you a question, Michelle. It has been a year since this section 440 is in force, but have you seen it as being helpful to the trading companies you have been assisting? Well, let me give you a lawyer's response. It depends. So imagine yourself as a company that is insolvent. That technically means you're unable to pay your debts as and when they fall due. Your counterparty is unable to terminate your contract by virtue of you being insolvent because of this uh, restriction on ipso facto clauses. But there are typically other clauses in a trading contract that make, for example, timely payment a condition of the contract, a breach of which allows for termination. Or what if you cannot open an LC because the banks don't see you as creditworthy? And that's also a reason to terminate the contract. So these are other problems that are associated with cash flow issues that ipso facto clause restrictions simply cannot solve. However, let's say you are a supplier of goods, you're insolvent or you've entered into restructuring. Having section 440 would certainly be helpful as you need people to take delivery of your goods and pay you, right? Most importantly, instead of terminating your contract by virtue of your insolvency. So, well, as lawyers, I think we always try to find workarounds. In drafting commodities contracts, Lauren, will it be possible to contract out of Section 440? No, unfortunately, it's not possible. Okay. I understand the intention of Erda is to protect the struggling company. But in your view, is it then not potentially unfair to the counterparty? Where is the balance? Well, Michelle, I wouldn't say that the law is unfair to the counterparty. The balance is that if the operation of Section 440 would likely cause the counterparty significant financial hardship, he can apply to court for declaration that Section 440 does not apply to the agreement. I suppose this makes sense because a lot of trading contracts form part of a chain. Lauren, are there any other exclusions? Mm, Yes. Section 440, subsection 5, lists different categories of contracts which will not be subject to Section 440. These include any eligible financial contracts and maybe more relevant to the commodity sector, any commercial charter of a ship. Now, I think this poses significant difficulty for traders who are also chargers of vessels. For example, I may be chartering a vessel and doing my very best to pay for it because I need the vessel to transport my goods. However, if the owner is able to terminate because I've entered into a restructuring process, even though I've been paying higher or freight on time, this would be a significant disruption to my business. So moving on from ipso facto clauses, are there any other new provisions under the order which trading companies in financial difficulties can make use of? Well, previously, a company would only be able to go into judicial management upon application to the court and the court granting the judicial management order. For the listener's benefit, when a company goes into judicial management, an independent and impartial officer of the court 
takes over as a judicial manager. And this has been proven to be helpful in regaining creditors' confidence in how the company manages its affairs. Another key aspect of a judicial management is that a moratorium arises whereby creditors cannot, for example, commence proceedings or take enforcement steps. The intention is to give the company breathing space to rehabilitate itself. Now, under the ERDA, a company can make the proposal to its creditors that it enters into judicial management. It is then placed under judicial management with the approval of a majority in number and value of the creditors present and voting. The new change therefore allows companies applying for judicial management to save the time and costs which could be better used to rehabilitate the companies. But Lauren, coming from the perspective of the trading company, how does having a third party who would not be as familiar with the business as say, you know, the board of directors really help save the company? Would not the existing board know what is best for the company? Michelle, I hear you, but a lot of the times, by the time a company is in trouble, the sad fact is that creditors would have lost trust in the company's board of directors in how the company has been managed. A third-party judicial manager would hopefully fix this trust issue and persuade creditors and other players in the industry to continue dealing with the company instead of writing it off completely. Also, from my experience, they are very competent and experienced insolvency practitioners who, as judicial managers, are able to pick up the intricacies of the business very quickly. A company can nominate its own judicial manager, so you can choose someone you're comfortable with to run your business. Thanks for that, Lauren. Going back to the moratorium, increasingly we see trading companies becoming owners of their own fleet of vessels. These vessels would as is typical for ship-owning structures, be owned by separate SPVs. I suppose then it makes sense for the entire group to go into judicial management to enjoy the same moratorium because it does not make sense for one part of the business to be protected but the other part to be exposed. However, what I understand of a judicial management moratorium is that the moratorium is only a local one and does not actually prohibit enforcement overseas. I also understand that the new ERDA has an exception that allows for Admiralty writs to continue to be filed. So my question here is, how effective really is this moratorium if my vessels can still be arrested overseas? Also, many commodities contracts are subject to foreign arbitration or foreign jurisdiction clauses. Would this not mean that, for example, an English law arbitration can still be commenced. I'm sorry if I sound pessimistic, but I am not convinced of judicial management as a solution if, for one, I have to relinquish control of my company. And secondly, the moratorium is a limited one that's only effective locally. Well, Michelle, these are certainly very valid concerns. There is an alternative under the ERDA, which we often see companies adopting as their first choice. This would be the scheme of arrangement where the board of directors get to remain in place and a scheme moratorium can be similarly obtained to protect the company from legal proceedings and enforcement steps. The scheme moratorium potentially offers more protection because the company could apply for the moratorium to cover identified overseas proceedings, including foreign arbitrations. 
However, for the scheme application to succeed, you are going to have to convince the court that you have sufficient approval from your creditors. Approval from secured creditors would carry heavier weightage. That's good to know, Lauren. So I think we've said quite a lot in a short span of time. So let's round up with the key takeaways for today. So I think the first key takeaway for today would really be on ipso facto clauses. Just remember that Section 440 does not always help you if you have a slew of other grounds allowing for termination in your contract. Hence, I guess um, you need to be very careful in your drafting. So we know that a trading company signs several contracts a week, or in a good or, I don't know, bad week, usually on its own standard terms, or worse, on its counterparty standard terms. It is common for clients to ask us to review these terms, but we are usually asked only after something disastrous has taken place. From a risk management point of view, it is good to regularly review your clauses to make sure that they are relevant in light of changes in legislation. I definitely agree. It's better to be safe than sorry. And maybe another takeaway for today's podcast, I would say, is that there are restructuring protections for a company to resuscitate itself and save itself from liquidation. So if you can foresee an aggressive creditor who may be seeking to wind you up, you can take preemptive steps by way of a judicial management or a scheme moratorium to shield yourself. And I suppose if you do not want to lose control of your company and want a wider moratorium, then aim strategically to make a scheme application first and hope for the approval of your creditors. If this does not work out, then try for judicial management. But in such a situation, be prepared to lose control of your company. That's right. And I think that's all for takeaways. And thank you to everyone for listening till here. Hope you have finished your workout at the gym or you have finished your drive. So stay safe and bye. Bye, everyone.